Hello, and welcome to the Pragmatic Product Chat series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management, product marketing, and other market and data-driven professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I'm Rebecca Calajaris, Vice President of Marketing and Product Strategy at Pragmatic Institute, and your host for this episode. And today, I am extremely excited to have on board Steve Gaylor, one of our premier instructors here at Pragmatic, a lifelong product professional enthusiast, leader, teacher, all those good things. So we're extremely excited to have Steve on. Hello, Steve. Hey, Rebecca. How are you today? I am outstanding. So Steve and I recently partnered up as we worked on a, a renovation of our market course, sort of in response to what we'd, what we'd seen in the market, what we'd heard in the market about the evolution of the product marketing role and function. And so I thought, who better to have on the podcast today to talk a little bit more about that? So that is what we are going to dive into today. Ready, Steve? I'm ready whenever you are, Rebecca. All right, Steve. Why don't we first, you know, like, let's let's set the stage for our listeners and talk about what we had seen in sort of that evolution that we're talking about. Yeah, I think probably the biggest trend in and it it's happened definitely over a you know a number of years, but it seems to have gained a, a lot of momentum uh, you know in the last kind of two three years based on again on the feedback from the market that we're receiving and and trends and things that we've uncovered as as a part of our you know staying in tune with the market, and that is the transition from product marketing being a task management list management execution oriented go check off things and produce content and produce white papers and all that kind of stuff. Moving from that kind of list-oriented set of activities into much more of a strategic role. And if you think about the location of the role uh, product marketing in the organization, not necessarily reporting channels, but from a responsibility perspective, it's right in the middle, right? It's the bridge between the executive team and the product team and product management, especially product, that part of the product team, and the market itself. So there are all those kinds of interactions, intersections that kind of come together, which I think kind of makes the, the product marketing role an interesting place to be able to, to support and align all those different activities. I was just thinking when you were talking about that shift, right, from being thought of more as execution place, but to that bridge is such an exciting opportunity for product marketers, right? I think for those of us who've been in the profession for a long time, you know, there's certainly some of us who are like, we've always been like that. And some of us have had the opportunity to do that. And that's what we make so passionate about it. But we've also all had, like, we've had a fight for that, right? A fight for that perspective and sort of every new role was like, come in and prove yourself that you're not, you know, quote unquote, another marketing person who's just going to change the colors. Like you really had a fight for that. And it's exciting as you see the trend is that that some of that, that the trails have been blazed. And I think that's a really good thing for us, but it also is with great power comes great responsibility, right? And I think more than ever, we have to protect that then and really deliver on that strategic piece in order to make sure we are not sort of tainting this new world. And so really empowering product marketers to do that, I think is, is a key for us. Yeah, absolutely. You know, good news is we're in the spotlight. They're yeah, in the spotlight, right? Yes. So, so now we have to uh, to really wow the audience, and we've got fortunately multiple audiences we're playing to, right? You've got your executive team that you have to keep satisfied. You've got obviously the marketing team, the traditional marketing team, who has taken on more of that that execution oriented responsibility. I think over time now, and and it's become more and more specialized, right? Now yes. You have 
specialist in social and you have specialists in you know all the different uh, communication channels and, and avenues and and you know specialists in targeted marketing and, and all you know really ref- I think a great deal of refinement in the various roles that have evolved over the last few years. We've got to go enable sales. We've got to go you know uh, work with the the product tra- team to translate those market problems into messages that resonate in the market. So we'll even get you know focus and attention and awareness on the products and on our company. So. Yeah, the spotlight's on us, but the spotlight's on us. Right, right. And there's no hiding. And and you're right, that specialization of marketing, you know, there's email teams specifically, there's thought leadership and content teams, right? That really means like a product marketing sort of person, you know, it would not behoove us to go and do those execution pieces. We don't have the skills and understanding. That's not where we're going to shine. In the same way, we're not going to shine if we go like try and pick up a bag and start doing sales. It's that enablement piece, which is really where that bridge is, is, is taking the exec team's vision, the products and the market's vision, and then how do I arm those teams for success while also keeping them focused and understanding the goals? It's a, it's a, it's a lot. Yeah. I mean, it's more than enough for, uh, for one role, for certain. And I think that part of the issue, I think in the past, we probably could have gotten away and did get away with with more of those tactical kind of things and yep. you could develop yep. expertise in those areas. But those channels and the outreach and honestly, the noise on those channels is evolving and changing so, so rapidly now that there's no way you can keep up with it. I mean, just like, you know, you, you always have the discussion, should how technical should product managers be? And there was a time I came from a very technical background and I understood exactly what the developers were telling me when they were, you know, justifying the, the size of an estimate or something like that. But over time, you know, if I'm going to keep pace with the market, I can't keep pace with the change in technology. I got to trust the experts to do that. And I think it's the same way with these market activities. I can't keep pace with all the changes in consumption and channels and and, methods and and all those kinds of things. And also uh, serve that role of of alignment, of, of, of structure. So you've got to trust the experts in those kinds of, of creative and, and channel management activities with, with that role. So you can you can do the things that you need to do from a strategic perspective. That's such a great parallel, right? Because like you would immediately be like, you know, product management, if you were arguing about the code, you know, you're in the wrong spot. But I yeah. think, you know, sometimes that marketing communication place feels like a place where a lot of opinions can be more powerful. Like we always say, everybody thinks they can write. Right. Everybody yeah. thinks they can do those things. And I, I think, but it's the same point. Like they move too fast. There is real expertise. That's not the place. If you're spending your time there, you're not spending your time where you where you need to be. And you're not the problem if there's an execution problem, look upstream and make sure it's not because you didn't arm them well with what we were trying to accomplish, for whom we were trying to accomplish, and really why. The why matters. Right. Absolutely. That goal, that 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 vision that we're trying to fulfill, if you don't have that, it's really hard to tell if we're if we're executing on point. Yeah. And, and I don't want to minimize at all that execution effort. I mean, that oh, obviously no. is absolutely critical. Right? We're, we're not going to be successful if, if that execution component is not done well as also. But, you know, the execution side without a strategic goal is just activity. Right. It's just yep. stuff. And by the same point, if you don't have if you have a strategic goal, but you don't have the tactics aligned and defined in order to achieve that goal, uh, you're not going to be successful either. So it really does take both of those things working together and in conjunction with one another before we're going to be successful. But, you know, somebody's got to be minding both those parts of the. Yep. Of the activity. 
And I think that's why you talk about it as a bridge, right? It's not just to have a strategy and tell them at once. It's really about helping that strategy, figuring out what they need and how they need it delivered for the, the execution team to really fold that into their efforts, right? It, it's not, again, the same parallel when we talked about user stories and requirements is it continues to be a struggle of how do I give them enough and not too much and what are the right pieces? It's just, you know, it, it is looking at both sides of that that is so key. Yeah, I think it's certainly giving them what they need in order to execute. But then also, I think a very important part of that is measuring progress toward that goal that mm. you've established because the tactics may be measured by click-throughs and response rates and conversion rates and those kinds of things. Oftentimes, those kinds of, of metrics and tracking are indicators, quite often leading indicators, to tell us whether or not we're going to be able to achieve that goal or not. But you can't take those in isolation separate from the goal and, and define success, right? It, it takes the goal to establish success. And those metrics around the, the tactical activities are, are we on the right path to success? Or do we need to adjust? Do we need to change? Do we need to yeah. try something different because we're not you know, achieving the results we need? That's a really great point. And those, those leading indicators are really important, especially for the specialists in the field to kind of be able to monitor and know what they're doing. But they're also not the whole picture. Um, I often wonder on different marketing teams, like, does everybody know what our goals are? Like, and I mean, just even straight, like, do you know what we're, we're forecasting for revenue for the quarter? Like, do you know what, what it is that we're up against? And too often, I think there's a big, big step removed there. It's a, it's a problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, I remember a few times when I was in the industry, I was working with, you know, some of those execution oriented people and, and delivering, trying to deliver on a goal and so on. And on, more occasions than it should have happened, I would ask one of those tacti uh, tacticians, why are we doing that? Why are we we doing this? Well, it works better than this and that and the other. And I go, no, 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 step up. Why are you being, why are you doing that? Well, because that's what I was asked to do. You know, it, no, no, no. The reason you're doing that is to achieve this goal. And so I think keeping those goals in the forefront as we execute is, is extremely important because you know, we're doing stuff because we were asked to do it. That that's not the right answer. You know. Yeah. And I also think so. One of the advantages I always think about with with marketing and product marketing is you really do have the ability to pivot and test in some fast ways, particularly these days with with all the data we have. But I also think the place that most of us fall down is probably deciding the things we can stop. Right. Like we just yeah. keep adding and we have more ideas and more things to pay it, and we very rarely take the time to look at the stuff we just we always do to see if we should stop it. Like, is it still providing value? And I, I think that that is a tough one to do, but it, you have to, right? Because you can't yeah. just keep adding. You have to look at what you're removing. Um, as yeah. a piece. Generally speaking, I think ideas come faster than budget and resources. <laughs> so you got you yes. to figure out how to balance, balance that, right? I mean, that's what it comes down to. So. so what do you think opened up this opportunity for product marketing? Like, what, why do you think this shift occurred? I think a big part of it, you know, historically, we always thought about the buying process, right? Somebody shows up on the, in the sales pipeline and they're looking for this. We need this. We got to make sure we do the intro pitch and then we're going to do the product pitch and then we're going to give them a demo and then we're going we're gonna to guide them through that process. And I think with the advent of the internet age, we've begun to realize that, not begun to realize, we're, we're beyond realizing it, that that buying process starts significantly before we know these people are buyers. 
and they're out there educating themselves and they're out there rightly or wrongly consuming content that honestly may or may not be true, may or may not be factual kind of thing, right? But the recognition that so much of that buying occurs now before we are engaged, before we have an opportunity to educate or influence directly as a part of the sales process, that I believe is what opened up the opportunity, right? That shift in the buying process and that information access that consumers didn't, buyers didn't have before. So I think that's what opened it up. That's what created the void. And everybody kind of goes, okay, well, that's not a sales thing to go do. And that's not a product management thing to go do. And it's kind of a marketing thing to go do. But, you know, so I think that's what created that void. And product marketing, that role was a natural fit, skill set and responsibility wise to to step into that void. I think that's a really good point. And I I also think or, or wonder maybe I would go with hypothesize, right? That one of the reasons the past days open is not only did the process change in the beginning, but with so many subscription and SaaS, you have a, a similar problem after the sale, right? So we have this retention piece and we have so much that that stays with customer satisfaction and MPS and continual engagement. And again, this is evolving a little bit, but for in the beginning, like who owned that, right? And I think it's another place where product marketing started to step in and and expand the footprint of that a little bit. And I still think it's a place that we we see progress, but there's there's still some immaturity in organizations about ownership, about places there, about some of the other roles that play a an active role in a subscription business. Yeah, I think I think that's a, an excellent observation. I think a great recognition of that is that we've begun to tra- track lifetime value of the customer. Yeah. Right? It's not about the sale. It's not about average sale price anymore. It's about lifetime value of the customer. It's not about, you know, Mark Stiving and I were having a, a usual co-instructor debate on pricing recently as, as only, uh, you know, a couple of people in those kinds of roles can do. <laughs> and uh, that's a polite way of putting it, by the way. <clears throat> so we were talking through some concepts and Mark said something to me that I thought was was extremely interesting was we were talking about it in the context of pricing, but when somebody buys a product, they're buying based on expectation. They're evaluating the price they're going to have to pay based on the expected value that they, or the value they Mm -hmm. expect to receive. When they renew, when they re-up that subscription, now they're making their evaluation based on the actual value Mm -hmm. received. So it's no longer buying perceived benefit, it's buying actual benefit. And guess what? If you haven't driven that actual value during the course of that subscription, they're not going to resubscribe. And so very different, interesting, very interesting way. I thought the way Mark thought about the way buyers buy yeah. and what, what they're actually evaluating in the context of price. And really it's that extension you just described. We won them. Yay. That used Yay. to be big, you know, put the, put the, the stake in the ground. Look what we did. We generated a, a new customer. How wonderful. And now I think we've come to that realization. Okay. We generated that new customer. Now we have to keep continuing to provide them value and, and, you know, honestly, incremental value, increased value over time. If we want to retain them or if we want to cross sell or upsell or, or increase that lifetime value of the customer. And again, a you know, lifetime value of a customer was kind of a, what, you know, I mean, they're worth whatever we get that, that, uh, when right. we sign the check and that first year's maintenance, that's the value of the customer, right? Yeah. Because I mean, it was, it was so heavily weighted that way. Right. And now you don't have that big uptake in the beginning. And what's interesting about that value you know, I think both product managers and product marketers have a, a 
there's value from the user's perspective. How do I make sure that they're using the product regularly, that they're at, that they're really finding and leveraging the, the, the features in there that I, that we will, that will deliver and that we get enough, that they get up to speed fast enough that the learning curve brings to value quickly, but there's also buyer value. And I think sometimes, you know, that one's a little bit harder along the way, but I, I always tell this, like the best software vendor I ever had sort of tricked me. This is what they, all of them try to do, but was really good at sort of getting you to figure out the value of their software by asking you the right questions. And it never felt like, here's the interview where I, <laughs> I make you realize the value. And at the end, you're like, oh, I'm so armed with these talk points for people because exactly. I did that, right? But but I think sometimes we forget that the buyer is still going to have to renew the check or the yeah. you know, the credit card every time. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, the way I like to think about that, I talk about it in the context is historically, we've had to address the needs of buyers to get a customer and we had to address the needs of users to keep mm. the customer. But now that keep the customer part is starting to blur a little bit, right? Because you have to address yeah. the needs of users, but those users may not be buyers on that renewal, right? You've got to think of that renewal process as a separate sales cycle, just as that initial, you know, win the deal sales process. You know, this is a, a new buyer's journey that they're going through. And, and by the way, the buyer's journey that they take when they renew may be very, very different than the one they took when they initially signed up, right? Because they may be evaluating different things. Now they know for certain what's important to them. Now they know what was valuable to them and what wasn't. And so it, you know, you've got to think about it as a brand new buying process, a new buyer's journey. And, and yeah. uh, it may be very different, very different pers- perspectives, maybe different people who are influencing that renewal than there were in the initial purchase. So all those things are what what created this strategic void that I think these product management, uh, product marketing folks are now able to, to step in and fill. It's funny as you brought up lifetime value and, and you and I had had a, a discussion via email the other other day about customer acquisition costs, right? Because that's like the other half of the, of the ratio you want to look at and whether you include the costs related to renewals in there. And it was, it was a great question. And we, we, we you know, talked about it. We talked about it and how different companies might look at. We talked to our CFO, we've talked to some others, like, because again, there's part of that that is that is customer service and support, but what part of that is an extension of the acquisition costs that needs to be in that calculation? It's a really interesting question. Yeah, and I've you know since our email exchange, I've I've uh, I've thought more about it, and certainly that customer acquisition costs a lifetime value of the customer. That's a an extremely important metric to us. But I almost wonder, not almost wonder, I'm more and more convinced that customer acquisition costs, lifetime value of the customer versus customer acquisition costs, extremely important metric. But I think we also should be separately measuring customer retention cost versus the lifetime value mm-hmm. of the customer. Because you could spend a lot of money in acquisition and not get the renewals, right? Or you could be underfunding the retention yep. that is not going to drive the lifetime value of the customer. I would argue, potentially, that your retention costs are have a greater impact on the lifetime value of the customer than the, the pure acquisition. Oh, that's interesting. And it would be interesting to think about what that ratio would make sense in your organization, right? Because yeah. it wouldn't, we all we all talk about the ones much easier to keep a customer than to to get one. But like, are we measuring like we all we bought there's studies, but like in our organization, do we know what that is? Which also I was thinking about this for the the other courses that we're working on is the the idea of retention and making sure that you are re- Retaining the right customers because they will not have equal retention costs. 
right? We all have customers who are high maintenance. Let's just throw it out there. And that may be a high maintenance sales, but it could be the volume of support calls. And he's like, they can get to be some pretty hard costs associated with that. That if we look at, again, helps us look at those segments that are the most profitable to keep, but also to go after, because these are the ones that go through the process overall. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you talk about customer support costs, but now we have in, in a lot, of, especially in, in uh, subscription kind of model businesses, we have entire organizations focused on customer success. Yep. Right? Yep. And absolutely. We have entire organizations focused on implementations and renewals. And, you know, I mean, they're, especially in that subscription model, you have to have those things. Yep. And you're right. That's a so, significant cost to add into that is not. It is not a marketing or sales bucket cost like you have in a, in a, in a traditional sort of Keck model, but it is it is something to measure. Yeah, and if you do lump those costs into the traditional CAC model, customer acquisition cost model, is it clouding the picture? Is it hiding something that you really should be more concerned? Yeah. When you calculate LTV differently in a in a individual product sale kind of approach than you do in a subscription model, should we also be calculating the customer acquisition cost? differently or should we calculate customer acquisition for cost versus customer retention cost yep. as two different buckets two different especially in a subscription business i don't know all i've had so far are thoughts in that area I, yes. I, you know, but it's uh you start thinking about it, it's like oh you know that would be a pretty meaningful thing for me to know right? yep. how much does it cost me to get them yeah but how much does it cost me to keep them and then also thinking about that we do have big customer success and implementation you see that but also i thinking about the what you know, really spending some time intentionally thinking about product management or product marketing rather's role with that team. Yeah. Right. There's an enablement piece. There's there's learning back the other way. Uh, it's another place where those bridges are are strong and can be. Yeah, I think just as as buying doesn't begin when when we when they contact us for a sales demo or engage with us from a sales perspective, selling doesn't stop when they sign the contract or click through the agreement either. Uh, there's that extension on both ends of that traditional sales cycle that product marketing has a very big part to play, I think, in, in both of those before and after the funnel, sales funnel kind of or sales process kind of, uh, of section. Clearly, this is stuff that Steve and I aren't passionate about at all. We could <laughs> we could talk about this stuff forever. Okay. So thinking again about our, our sort of the, the strategic execution, that, that role that that product marketing is really kind of grown into. If we've got people listening who are looking, right? Sometimes it didn't necessarily the role didn't start this way, and they want to they want to step in there, or they're or they're or they're looking to do a new role. What are like two or three things that you're like, hey, look, if you're going to do this role and you really want to make sure that you're playing that bridge strategically, what would you have them focus on? Well, yeah, I mean that's a great question. The first thing is you have to have the business acumen to be able to translate the goals of the business into executionable marketing kinds of activities. So you've got to be able to tie the business to the the goals of the business to the activities that you can, the things you can actually impact from a marketing perspective. So can we impact sales enablement? Can we, or the sales process? Can we, can we impact awareness? Can we impact uh, revenue retention, right? We just talked about those. So how do we tie the goals of the business back to things that we can impact? So you have to have enough business acumen to be able to, to make that connection. You have to be able to have the skills to get insights from the market. Mm. What are the problems the market's trying to solve? But most importantly, how do the market, what does the market think about those problems? How do they articulate those problems? Uh, all important for us to understand because we need to give direction to those 
tactical execution people who are actually going to go you know, develop the, the the campaigns and the, the tactics and those kinds of things. So you've got to be able to translate what the market thinks and believes and wants into something that the the tacticians can pick up and, and execute against. So I think you have to have that ability to, to listen and gain that input, get that input from the market. So now you're, you know, in the, you talked about some of the revisions that were, were made to the market class. You know, I think a big theme through that entire class is connecting to the, the market to the goals of the business so you can execute. Pretty simply stated, but man, that that's a big bucket, right? I mean, yep. you've, got, you've got to understand a lot of different moving pieces. So we've got to, got to arm sales. You've got to arm marketing uh, with the knowledge of the market to be able to develop messages and messaging that resonate. We've got to be able to pull those themes that the, the buyer personas care about. So you better be good at those kinds of things. You better be good at listening. You've got to have a good set of business skills and uh, you've got to be a good translator to get all those things translated into the language and the needs of the other parts of the company that we we support. Yeah. The only one I would add on my own personal, the soapbox kind of is the inspire, the ability to inspire the, the execution teams. I think we have the same thing on the product management side. You aren't their managers, right? This is not a line of command. Sure, you have authority of expertise, but the way I think that they get its inspiration and it's the inspiration that you bring or that you build by bringing what you talked about, the excitement that you're going to help the business achieve goals, that what you're doing is mattering to the business, but also to the market because it's really connected to the problems that they have. And that when you inspire, that's when the good things happen. Yeah, I a thousand percent agree with that. And I would say if you do the other things right, the inspiration comes pretty easily because you yeah. have tangible results that you can point to and say, hey, look what we all did. Look what we were able to accomplish for the business. Look what we were able to accomplish for our customers, for the market. So if you get the rest of it right, the inspiration is, it's the fun part of it. It's why we show up to do the job, I would argue. But uh, it, it's much easier if you have the other. Yes. And you certainly can't do the inspiration without the other. So you could do it like once. You could trick them once with a strong cheerleader and some, you know, some free pizzas or whatever. But, but, it, but yeah, yeah. If we're going to do that continually, it's because you've shown them the vision of going, but also tying them back at the end, right? It's not just showing the vision, but helping them see the impact that they've had. Yeah, helping. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, here's how your execution-oriented activities supported the goals or delivered the goals that we were uh, we were pursuing. Steve, it is always fun to chat with you. I would encourage everyone on here to go catch a class that Steve teaches. He is a pleasure to learn from, always full of good thoughts. So I really appreciate your time today, Steve. Oh, thanks, Rebecca. My pleasure. And uh, love bringing this kind of, uh, this kind of information to, to people and, and having these kinds of discussions. So let me know anytime you, uh, you want to have one of these fireside chats. I'm all for it. Awesome. All right. That does it for today's episode. Thank you everyone for listening. And don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help you elevate your product, your company, and your career. 